This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Pleasure to welcome back to the show Kevin O'Leary, chair of O'Shares ETFs, one of the sharks on Shark Tank. Kevin, great to talk to you again. Hope you're doing well through all of this. Yeah, thank you very much. Great to be here. I'm um, you know, sequestered in Miami where I'm in, under quarantine here. Well, you know, let's start with what we just played with the clip, if we can, because I'd be interested to get your opinion of, of what you think we're going to see in the years ahead in this idea of work from home. I mentioned earlier in the show, Google's going to start paying their employees $1,000 to buy equipment from work from home and, and the dynamics that really are going to change in the years ahead. There's no question that's going to happen. Um, in our own portfolio, I've got investments in over 50 private companies now in almost every state. One one thing to remember that no one, nobody anticipated about this pandemic, there's so many unintended consequences that are occurring, but you would never force a business to work um, independently and remotely. You would just never do that. You would never take that risk. The logistics, the marketing, the salespeople, everybody completely pushed out of the office, not just for a week, but for three months. And lo and behold, for a majority of the companies I'm an investor in, they have worked out remarkably well in terms of maintaining, if not growing in some cases, their businesses by using the available technology to work remotely. And now, and this is the most interesting part, and it does have ramification for institutions like banks and certain sectors of the economy like real estate, um, we're planning across our portfolio to save between 5 and 7% of cash flow by reducing our demand for office space by up to 25%. So we're going to make offers to employees, particularly in the areas of accounting and logistics and compliance in our various businesses, that they have an option to work at home. And we will also pay the CapEx to put fiber into their homes. We will buy them new equipment. The savings are immense. It's great for everybody except for commercial real estate. So that's not going to be a good outcome for those guys. But, hey, they've had a great run, and now they've got to give some back. Uh, You mentioned you being uh, there in Miami. You're originally from Canada. And we haven't talked a lot about what the impact has been uh, up there in terms of the virus and the, and the numbers of cases, but also on the economy. What have you heard from your home country? Well, I do stay in touch, obviously, and I have some businesses up in Canada. Canada, prior to the pandemic for the past five or six years, has been a very anti-business environment, very anti... Uh, Canada was built on, on the environment in the sense that it has natural resources that are, you know, unprecedented in oil and gas and in every mineral and the administration there was very much against um, exploiting that. And, I, you know, I understand politics being what it is, but it decimated the economy. Uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs were lost. A lot of it, capital expenditures didn't happen, so money left Canada in the energy space and went to shale south of the border. The Canadian dollar collapsed, and then the pandemic hit. So probably... Uh, it's probably a buying opportunity at this point because I think the Canadian people, particularly the ones involved in, in natural resources and, and energy, have been decimated. They lost their jobs long before a pandemic by the hundreds of thousands. And they're not happy, as you can imagine, and they're waiting uh, for an opportunity to vote. So I'm anticipating a more pro-business administration is going to take over there. Right. Uh, the Canadian dollar is, um, is, is at 70 cents. So I think it's an interesting investment opportunity now. 
Give us your thoughts on what we've seen with Wall Street the last few days. And, you know, obviously the last couple of days, the the news about potential vaccines has driven part of it. You also maybe have the the commentary of uh, Senator McConnell about uh, there being another relief package that may be coming uh, in the in the months ahead. Yes. And and that's one of the reasons you're getting this extraordinary run uh, on equities. Um, the Fed is probably going to overstimulate by maybe $2 trillion. Um, I think a lot of investors are coming to that conclusion. I think the underlying economy, and I would, I would, you know, when you talk about a recession or a depression in any other time, and everyone has its own personality, but this one is unique because we basically turned the economy off in a 48-hour period. Yeah. So in a normal recession, you have a slow grind down over six quarters. That didn't happen here, so there's a lot of pent-up demand and and. People are ready to get back and do whatever they did, and we've been talking about that for the last two weeks, obviously. But the extra $2 trillion, um, that's helicopter money from the sky that probably we don't need, but it's an insurance policy. Yeah. Where does it find its way too quickly? Into equities, because it's probably inflationary, and you want to be not in bonds anymore because they've had a 30-year you know, bull run. Now the interest rates are close to zero. But in equities where you have some protection against inflation, uh, where the company has the ability to price. And so that's why you're seeing uh, such a buoyant S&P 500 and particularly technology indices. So so what's your reaction then to, to the pharma sector right now? Because obviously part, as I said, uh, of this run has been this news coming out of, of the phase one testing. And eventually we are going to see, uh, we assume, uh, at least one, if not a couple of companies uh, have a vaccine. But we're seeing this gain this the last few days on phase one testing when there is still, you know, obviously a lot to go to get to through phase three and get these uh, these vaccines on the market. Yes. However, the last epidemic, SARS, uh, also originating in China, I might add, um, was 11 years ago. Medical science and technology, and particularly biotech and pharma, has advanced five, six, seven-fold since then in terms of the technologies to make therapeutics and potentially a vaccine that can inoculate the herd. And so you have over 100 companies working on different strategies, um, well-financed. This sector, pharma and biotech, is where I am very overweight for a couple of reasons. One is, obviously, you're not going to see a lot of Hillary Clinton-type bashing of pharma pricing coming out of this. They saved our lives, so you've probably got a good three-year run where politicians don't meddle with pricing, because many of the companies that are going to provide these vaccines are doing it almost or close to cost-free. Secondly, the repatriation of the supply chain across all medicines and pharma and hazmat materials and everything else is going to be boom. And I think that's one of the areas I'm really intrigued. And it won't just be the U.S. It'll be North America. You're going to see Mexican opportunities. You're going to see Canadian. We're going to move the entire Asian supply chain back here, not because we don't love just-in-time inventory. We need just-in-case inventory now so that we don't face this problem. So that sector is, in my view, to be bought. So then let me ask you, playing off of that, we were just talking a moment ago in our marketing segment about what General Motors had done during this pandemic and obviously switching to making ventilators and other PPE. I've, I've really thought about this for a while, whether or not we would see some of these companies think about this as an opportunity to kind of grow a side business off of what they have done because they've done it fairly well over the last couple of months. 
It's an interesting observation, and I would argue that's probably more valuable in their car business right now. If they have the abilities and the supply chain and the tooling to do that, I think the market would value that at a higher multiple than they value their car business at, which is you know, basically turning into a commodity just like rail cars. If we move towards autonomous driving, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be tough that you're, gonna, you're not going to care about what brand the, the thing with four wheels on it has. Right. Uh, I think there's, there's issues there. But you're right. I mean, I think providing, because this won't be, you know, what we have to face, and I think this will be a really big topic at the G20 in November, is we're going to have to come up with some pandemic avoidance protocol for all the G20 countries. And there's, because you're already hearing the cry for some kind of remuneration from China. Why do all the pandemics always come from there? Well, maybe they're doing some things that they shouldn't be doing, and maybe they should agree to a protocol that all countries don't do those things. And if you're a country that uh, originates a virus, you have to have a protocol of shutting down transportation, identifying the other G19 countries. We have to have a plan because it's too expensive, not just in the cost of human life, but we've wiped out so many economies here. And I think that that is one of the big questions I have about China. I, I, I want the administration to continue squeezing China to, to get, do a trade deal so I can access their middle class and protect my IP and litigate in their courts. We're not finished there yet, but I want this PAP, Pandemic Avoidance Protocol, also addressed because I don't want to die under a plastic tent because somebody's eating something they shouldn't in China. And I'm not saying that's why. I'm just saying let the science prove what it is. But I'm, I'm a taxpayer, and, and I don't like what I see here, and I want, I want it addressed. Absolutely agree with you on that. I think that's something that has to be critical and, and at the top of the chain here as, uh, as the administration thinks about a phase two deal here in the, uh, in the, in the months ahead. Um, you recently did a report on investing in the Internet and in e-commerce. So what do you think that this pandemic means for companies that can do well in that stay-at-home economy? Yeah, I, I noticed um, across my portfolio of companies that we were buying a tremendous amount of licenses from a wide range of companies to accommodate not only remote working, but at the same time also, you know, we, half our companies did 50% of their business in retail, and then all of a sudden retail shut down. We, we had to immediately go online. A typical company would do 50% retail, 40% with Amazon, 10 direct to customers. Yeah. But companies like Tencent Holdings, Shopify, Pindu, Zoom, CrowdStrike, DocuSign, MongoDB, just to give you an example, were ones that we were sending a lot of capital to. So I, I, I do a lot of work in the index space with O-Shares, and I said to my researchers, Go find me every single company that's growing top line in large global Internet giants. It's not just domestic. I want to see everything. Yeah. And they came up with an in- index with 58 companies in it. I obviously invested in it. It's called OGIG. You can, what's interesting is it's transparent. You can go look at it online, see the companies in the weightings, or you can buy the ETF, OGIG. They both are the same thing if you want to pick your own stocks. But this this index I'm really pleased with. It's up 24% year-to-date, and I don't think it's going to stop. I think these companies have realized that they can build a business and save 30% gross margin by selling direct to customers, again putting pressure on commercial real estate. You made an observation I was listening to with your other guest about this, and he was right, and you're right. This is going to be an impaired sector and put pressure on banks for several years to come. We're joined by Kevin O'Leary. You know him uh, as one of the sharks on Shark Tank. He's also the chair of uh, O'Shares uh, ETF. So now we're starting to see 
states and and regions of the United States reopen at this point. Obviously, some businesses are starting to get back into into the flow here, but you still have this uncertainty out there of whether or not you know there's still the conversation of whether we're going to see a you know a second wave come in November, uh, and, and how businesses and, and probably investors as well have to think about that dynamic as part of uh, as part of operations moving ahead. You're right. I think it's going to change behavior. Uh, there'll, there'll be the, the pre-vaccine uh, and post-vaccine behavior, but I, I think people are, you know, have experienced quite a few things over these last 90 days that is going to remain with them. Um, obviously, in, in the winter seasons, I think it's going to be hard to get, you know, 80 people packed into an elevator in a high-rise <laughs> in a major city. Yeah. Um, they're, they're probably not going to want to do that, regardless of, of whether this... this uh, there's other flus that come through, and I think they're going to be high, very aware of that. And obviously, that means more capex in large businesses or large office towers to make it safer. Probably individual compartments or some kind of protocol on how the elevators are used. But, but, but it's this working at home um, uh, idea for let's say 15 to 20 percent of your employee base that's so intriguing because the reason I think. The market's so optimistic. It, it foresees an America 2.0 that's going to be very, very productive. Yeah. Not every sector, but, you know, this is going to have a really interesting upside 24 months from now. I, I'm, every day I work with my managers and my CEOs, and I'm licking my chops at the savings here. I, I yeah. really think we can drive 5 to 7% free cash flow. And when the average portfolio does 15% pre-tax, we're talking about a 20 25% increase in profits. That's the kind of thing I'm seeing here, and I am really excited, and I think the market is, and I think America is going to be more productive. It, it all stems from what we've forced ourselves to do in this crazy experiment, and it has a silver lining. Well, and that work-from-home component, uh, you know, obviously, whatever that level of employee is that's going to be working from home, but you still have the flexibility of if that person needs to come into the office for meetings or, you know, a, a particular program, they can still do that, but still have them working from home. It, it, the flexibility it allows just, to, you know, just screams out right now. I'll tell you something really crazy. We did a little research on our own base because we have a lot of employees they're working 20% more hours at home yeah, because they don't yeah. have anything else to do, yeah. and, and they enjoy working. This is incredible, unintended upside. And, and I say to them, look, you don't have to work 10 hours a day. And they're not even doing it. I, ha I, I had a conversation this morning at 3.30. I got up at 3.30. I heard a ping on my phone. One of my um, designers happened to be awake in another country, and we got into a conversation on Zoom. Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter anymore. We're time-shifting. You know, I went to bed at 7 o'clock last night because I had nothing to do. So yeah. it, it's kind of like I'm liking this, and I think it'll have some unintended consequences. One other thing I would add to this that, that, I, that I, I really am I'm, I'm really, this is my new kind of mission, I've had a chance over the last you know, two months to realize that in America, no one had saved any money. I mean, yeah. we're, we got a big problem here. We're not yep. teaching our kids to invest or save, and we got to fix this. You got 80% of the population with no cash in the bank after three weeks. Like, this is a problem. 
a significant one, and, and it's been it's been kind of percolating for a while now. And and the question is whether or not we're going to see it. Uh, you know what what it's going to have to take to get that turned around. Well, what I've done is I've commissioned an app. I mean, this is my thing. Everybody's got their own idea, but I have a chance to reach out to millions of people all the time as a result of Shark Tank and everything else I do yeah. on social media. I want people. The average salary is fifty-six thousand dollars a year in America. If you just took a hundred bucks a week, that's all. A hundred bucks a week. That means you don't buy that coffee. Maybe you don't buy that second beer. Whatever it is, and you put that into the market. Over the next twenty, thirty, forty years, you're going to retire a millionaire. You'll be safe because the market gives you six, seven, eight percent, depending on the decade you go back over the last hundred plus years. Yeah. It's called this app is called Beanstalks. B e a n s t o x. It's one of the robo apps, but I built it with a team. I think it's much easier to use because I've realized most people do not know how to pick stocks, nor should they. They're involved in other areas of their disciplines. But you know, it, it uses ETFs, not mine, but others. And I really like what it does, and it helps people immensely. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned the coffee thing because th- there's a video that I saw you had done, and I guess it just came out within the last few days uh, with the CNBC people about a young man who, who I guess lives in California uh, and how he has built out a little bit of a, a real estate portfolio, but he's also a big content provider and doing well. And you mentioned the coffee being one of these things that you can you can save on. You know, instead of doing the Starbucks, do it your uh, your your brew from home. Yeah, that 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 was a very that thing went viral. It's got millions of views on it. But I didn't know Graham. That was his name, and CNBC put me together with him. And I have a YouTube channel called Ask Mister Wonderful, and it was sort of Graham was one of those guys who figured out a long time ago why am I paying four bucks for coffee that costs nineteen cents to make? Yeah. So he started saving money, and then he bought his first piece of real estate, and then he used. He rented it. It's a hell of a story. The guy's a multimillionaire. I thought he was going to be some kind of an Internet bozo, but after I met him, I was amazed. And I think he is a great example of where somebody in their 20s should, should think and, and do uh, in terms of just saving money because he has done a phenomenal job. Yeah, I mean, Graham Stevens is his name. It, it was a I, I don't think we anticipated that was going to happen, but I'm getting calls from everywhere on that thing. You got thrown a little curveball, and it turned out to be a pretty, uh, pretty fun experience for you, it sounds like. I, I really enjoyed it because I thought he was going to be, you know, just another Yahoo, and he turned out to be a serious young man with a whole mission. And um, the more I saw what he did, he, you know, he kind of he reminded me of me at that age, and I thought, uh, this, gives me, this, this gives me a lot of encouragement that if we help young entrepreneurs – you know, if, you, if you've been successful and you're lucky, and, and I feel that way, i got to give back. My mother taught me the idea of karma. So I, I want to find ways to, to motivate people to do what he did, start saving, put 100 bucks aside, do the beanstalks thing, all that stuff. Yeah. Because we've gone through a hell of a, the last four months. It's time to take stock in your life and decide what you're going to do with it. Uh, finally, I wanted to ask you, and, and this is a little bit more longer term, about uh, about how you think all that has gone on during this pandemic may play a role in the November election. Yeah, I'm a really uh, a policy wonk. And so, you know, I, I kind of look, the thing that matters to me is policy. I know Washington is a circus or whatever you want to call it. I kind of ignore that. I, I look at policy. So if you go back in time and you look at, because history is a really good governor of, of, of outcomes, I'm going to say that what's going to happen in this election the policy is so pro-business going in. We were at you know 
3.6% unemployment, unprecedented since the 60s, was fantastic. Yeah. And you can feel the potential of it being able to spring back over the next 18, 24 months. But here's the thing. In wartime, it's very hard to find a president in modern times that loses their mandate. Yeah. I consider what we're going through kind of a war against an invisible enemy, global war. It'll still be very much on our minds in November where there may be you know, a resurgence of the, of the pandemic or the virus or some derivative of it, who knows. But I don't think people want, whether you like him or you don't, Trump, you, you, you don't want change at a time when you have so much uncertainty. So I, I think it bears, a, uh, you know, the incumbent is probably... And the other thing, I, I'm not hearing any policy from the other side. I'd like to hear what their plans are, but they just seem to be missing in action. I don't know what happened to them. And I'm not trying to play politics. I'm just saying right. th- this pandemic has really hurt their ability to communicate with the, with the swing voter. They just don't exist anywhere. I, they're, you know, there's no politics anymore on television. It's just virus, virus, virus. And, and I guess the, then the next part to that is whether or not there's an impact on the down-ballot elections because of this pandemic. Yeah, that, that also, when you go and look at war times, it, it again favors no change. I mean, people don't want more change at a time of tremendous uncertainty. And so you, you probably have... Um, you know, I hate, I don't hate to say it. I'm just saying I'm going to bet this will end up being very good uh, for the Republican base and and not so great for the Democratic base. And and I, I, I just don't. For for me as an investor, I'm happy with the policy. I don't I don't pick one side or the other. I, I think that, but it's hard to see that how that how that could change. I, I would want. I'd add one other thing that 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 is quite remarkable in the investing space as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. Do you remember back in the 07, 08, 09 period uh, when there was no capital for startups? Sure. It just shut down. Yeah. You, you had things like Indiegogo that appeared yeah. and, and, and these online platforms to help entrepreneurs bring product to market. I predict the same thing is going to happen with now crowdfunding. The only place that is actually growing right now in terms of finding capital for entrepreneurs is equity crowdfunding online. There's multiple platforms. The biggest one is Start Engine. I've invested in them, and I'm an advisor to them, and I'm, my companies are going to raise capital on that platform because they've amassed over 200,000 investors. Hmm. I think what's going to happen out of this, two years, three years from now, 36 months from now, you're going to say that pandemic opened up a really competitive platform that's competing now with private equity hedge funds and venture capital firms because when you do crowdfunding, you get 10,000 investors, and sure. most of the time they're your, your customers for your product. You can't do that with VCs. And my companies couldn't raise any dough with, with, because they shut down. The venture capitalists are trying to keep their portfolios from going under, some successfully, some not, but they're certainly not doing new deals. Kevin, great to catch up with you again. Uh, we will do so again in a few weeks. Thanks again for your time today. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin O'Leary, chair of Osher's uh, ETFs, also one of the Sharks on ABC's Shark Tank. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.